Hi everyone, welcome back to Unapologetically Anxious Me, Confessions of a Haitian Girl in Small Town, Minnesota. I'm your girl Joe, and I am so happy to be back with you and I am ready to hit the ground running. We are back in a whole new season and I am playing a brand new episode that I actually recorded several months back with Jason Soul, a local activist from Minneapolis who's got so many dope things going on. He is an abolitionist. This conversation is amazing. It is moving. And I encourage you to listen from beginning to end. So definitely stay tuned and listen to that. I also want to remind you to pick up my book, Unapologetically Anxious Me, Confessions of a Haitian Girl, on Amazon now. You can buy it. It's $14.99. You can also order through me directly. Um, Just hit me up on my socials. I am more than happy to send that directly to you and ship it out to you. Again, I am so excited to be back and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hey everyone, we are here together with Jason Soul. My name is Josette Ciceron, also AKA Joe, and I am very excited to be having this conversation with the one and only Jason Soul of Humanize My Hoodie and also Institute of Aspiring Abolitionists. We will be getting into a lot of details about abolition, um, prison by any other name, uh, lots of different uh, avenues we're going to go into. This is meant to be a mini series for now and we'll see what happens in the future. Um, But I really want to get into just telling us a little bit about who you are, Jason, what you've been up to. this man's got so much, so go ahead. <laughs> um, well, I'm just a humble servant, you know, like really, I just try to serve, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. At my core, um, I just love people. I just want everybody to win big, you know, like that's my story, you know, aside from, you know, me being a professor, I'm grateful for that here at Hamlin University. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm grateful to be able to teach uh, students who want to be in the field, who want to be probation officers who want to be you know um corrections officers i get to at least you know share space with them and help you know help them chart their course that's Mm -hmm. based on love and empathy and understanding and you know believe in survivors so to be able to do that on an academic level i'm grateful for it because you know i'm formerly incarcerated you know um i got caught with drugs i got Mm -hmm. caught with a gun and um, system wanted to, you know, really destroy me. So yeah. I'm grateful to be able to have any of these opportunities. Aside from being a professor, um, I'm co-founder of Humanize My Hoodie. Um, it's a movement. We got documentaries. Uh, our Black Liberation Space documentary is being viewed. Well, it got an award in Paris. It looked wow. at at other festivals. Congratulations. Uh, I think New York. Thank you. Um, and we got music and new hoodies and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff, trainings. Flat um, action. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, so, so it's... Light like, flex. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So it's just an honor to be able to do that with a childhood friend. You know, that was just two of us who had a vision to, like, move the culture. And for us to be able to do that and still be friends, you know what I'm saying? Because mm-hmm. some people, like, work together and it'd be, like, a disaster. But to still have a solid, deep friendship with somebody I knew at 16 mm-hmm. is sacred. Um... I'm a part of a group in the Twin Cities called Rep. Mm-hmm. Um, relationships evolving possibilities. Okay. Um, we answering calls Friday and Saturday. So if people call us and they in some kind of crisis, we can show up. Um, if it's active violence, we're not ready for that. But um, we hope to be able to get there. So we got a lot of partnerships within that. We got studios. We got info sessions. We got trainings. Um, we got so many things that's yeah. part of Rep where people calling us a lot now, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And we just grateful to show up for the community so they know we're not an alternative to 911, but one day we might be. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And we yeah. taking our time doing it. We in no rush. So that feels beautiful. And also, yeah, the Institute, man, like, shit, we raised a hundred grand in 60 days to that's do some amazing. revolutionary <laughs> stuff. So, I'm 
excited to deliver on um the investment that people made. Yeah. You know? So now I can be throughout the region from Chicago to Fargo. We talking art exhibitions. We talking about supporting freedom schools. We talking about mutual aid. We talking about all of the books you name. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like Sparked is a book that, you know, a lot of abolitionists put together from the Twin Cities, but also from Cali. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, even pinned an article in there. And um, being able to teach other people throughout the region with different books like that, it's going to feel good. It's and to have symposiums and Zooms and, yeah. you know, all of these conversations. So I'm excited. So it's kind of like a one-stop shop for abolitionists 101. You, If this is yeah. really your goal and you want to be part of this, this is where you start. And you're, I like how you're really doing it from the ground up. and. Sure because you're showing what mutual aid actually looks like you're you're trying with um what was it pen what what was the organization you work with rep 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 relationships evolving possibilities okay for sure all right yeah it's grass it's grassroots we had a vision we got the pedagogy it's solid um we don't take any government money and we well funded you know so people believe in us and we got a fiscal sponsor, which is Family Tree Clinic. Mm-hmm. They hold us down. And it's like to be able to have that relationship where funders can give to Family Tree Clinic and we can pay our carers, people who going to respond to you and come to you when you got, you know, um, a terrible situation happening. So absolutely, it's all grassroots, man. We trying to create what's not there. We building on the work of the ancestors, though. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's a lot of ancestors who continue to blow breath in us for us to be able to do this you know what i'm saying so it's an honor to carry they work for because harriet tubman laid out some blueprints for us yeah she did <laughs> a lot yeah, of people overlook them but it's like she understood how to bring her you know um brothers home on christmas eve mm-hmm. like she sophisticatedly said okay this day they not gonna be on it because it's like they want to think about this i can mm-hmm. get my brothers out get them the freedom she had to think that stuff through so it's like with ancestors like that it's like how can we really lose you know so it's about trusting our own power you Mm -hmm. know a lot of times we doubt ourselves we spend a lot of time mulling it over back and forth tossing that ball back and forth in our brain like should i do this should i do this it's like no you don't gotta do all that i (laughs) think well i get get that get grounded yeah let's go ahead and move on i think it, it, it makes sense because i think we're I think as black people in general, we're very much conditioned to believe that there's always something we have to go through or another step or we need someone else to help us get through this. And I think what's cool about what you do is that you you just completely believe in, is confident that you can get it done. And I've heard so much over the last year plus about abolitionism being a pipe dream, being something that doesn't that wouldn't ever work in our real world. And I think, I even think about the first time I even heard of the word abolition. It had, yeah, it had <laughs> nothing to do with policing, but it had to do with slavery. And, sure. and it's interesting when you think about it in today's context is that, yeah, essentially we haven't put it all together, but policing is just another form of you know, slavery, it's prison by another name, all those things. And I think that that's what makes it really interesting that people aren't, are just now putting these things together. Mm -hmm. And I think obviously George Floyd was a very major spark and push in that direction. Um, How did that inspire you to get to this point? Because like, Mm -hmm. it feels like that definitely was like a- It was a defining moment. Yeah. You know what I mean? He wasn't too much older than me. You know what I mean? Like, we both play basketball. I'm a tall black guy. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. we shared, you know, just in the fact that, you know, like... You could have been George Floyd. For sure. And yeah. I've had my moments where they've choked me out here. I got shot down the street. Wow. I got shot right down the street, maybe seven blocks from here. So wow. I'm very much... I'm familiar, <laughs> you know, in this area. Like, people, you know, very familiar with me. And the cops just used to... 18, 19 choke me gun in my face in front of people so mm-hmm. i always had a lot of people who could see what was happening to me and i'm grateful for that because i think it kind of made them not kill me because i always had 20 it was like one time we was about seven eight deep walking down university we just it was thanksgiving holiday mm-hmm. you know what i mean we ain't know nothing we trying to figure out how to cook something <laughs> you know what i mean like and we all young 18, yeah 19 i was 18 
20 years old was the oldest person. So we just laughing. We had been drinking a little bit and shit, you know, so it was like we just was trying to have a good time. And those cops targeted me out of all of us, put me in the car, put my shoes on top of the car, made me put my feet in puddles of water and shit. I'm Why? like, what the fuck? I'm like, I mean, you don't have to edit that. But I'm like, man, what are y'all doing, fam? Like, this don't even make sense. Mm-hmm. They like, man, we heard you pretty fast and you like to run. So we like, this is how we going to approach you. I'm like. Oh, like they came with a plan just for you. It was snowing and everything. It was a holiday week. It didn't make sense. So I just thought, like you said, that that was just supposed, that was just how cops worked. That's just what they did to people. I wasn't mm-hmm. thinking they just do this to black people or brown people. I'm just thinking this how y'all do. It mm-hmm. wasn't until I went to prison and I saw white guys who had less time than me and they actually harmed another person. Oh, wow. My shit was possession. I got caught with a strap. Mm-hmm. I got caught with drugs. Those mm-hmm. my cases. How am I going away for 40 months and y'all got me in the workhouse and all this shit with white men who physically assaulted somebody, mm-hmm. sexually abused? It makes That's sense. That's when I start saying, oh, no, nah, this ain't how this supposed to be. So I didn't get grounded in understanding the ancestral knowledge. Until I really went to college. When I went to college, that's when I was, that was 2004. Black Student Association, Radical as hell. I'm, I'm riding on everything. <laughs> I'm like, y'all criminal fam, I see it now. And um, my record was already marked up with felony. So, of course, ain't nobody listening to me. Yeah. So, seeing George Floyd get killed, it made people realize all the stuff I've been saying the cops was doing to me in 2006, 2007. Taking my car ripping the tents off every time i'll go put the tent back on later in the day every time snatch the tent off we need to see what you're doing to him fam this legal i bought it at the store right right you can sit the thing on my car it measures out Mm -hmm. it's not illegal but a lot of that just made them more furious so seeing george floyd that's when i said i'm done with all that reform stuff Mm -hmm. you know what i mean i got no energy for it i got no energy trying to get this cop to you know, see my humanity. I ain't doing that no more. Like, right. like I'll rock the brand, humanize me. Hopefully that's good enough. But as far as spending time with cops and helping them see the light, man, no, that's not my work no more. You know mm. what I mean? I tried. And that's you where know? you started. Absolutely. And I'm a professor because of it. These mm-hmm. are future cops. And yeah. So I give my contribution like that, but I'm just bolder with what I'm saying. Like, all my family members, when I said, man, I'm just claiming abolition because y'all know I'm abolition. My family already knew. Mm -hmm. I'm not for this government. I'm not for how they move. They harm us the most, but then trick us to think they the ones that's going to save us. Exactly. And and, And a lot of times we go for it, but when George Floyd got killed, seeing him say, I'm not a bad guy. I'm not a bad person. You know what I mean? And they Mm -hmm. still... The callousness of having his knee on his neck all that time, even with one of my, you know, that's one of my relatives who was saying, you're going to kill him. Donald, you know, that's my wife's cousin. So with him standing there recording saying, hey, that's a blood choke, man. Like, you're going to kill him, man, fam. You really going to kill him? This is so close to me in so many different ways. I can't escape the fact that, hey, y'all not going to be able to coalesce with them. Right now, we got the Kim Carter trial right here. Mm-hmm. You probably finna be in the midst of a whole lot of protests, I'm telling you right yeah. now. That verdict coming back any moment. Fam. Any moment, yeah. Yeah, closing statements, I believe, were yesterday. And, you know, and it was like Dante Wright's dad was one of my mans back in the day. Like, we got, we got history, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So, it's like, for me, this stuff be so close. When Jamar Clark got killed, Philando getting killed, mm-hmm. all of this stuff. Like, seeing George Floyd, that's when I said, I'm saying shit I ain't never really publicly said. Yeah. My first post was fuck the police. That was the I first. remember, yeah. My second one was abolish the police. Yeah. I'm standing on that. So you got to think, this university was like, what you mean, though? Cause, right? <laughs> you know, like, I'm, like, I'm like, hold on, Jason. When I read that, I was like, <laughs> like, is this a private message? <laughs> you got to think. They got board of trustees. Yeah. They got, I got a dean. It's a president. Mm-hmm. Dope black woman. She's a president. I'm going, like, they know I'm radical. They mm-hmm. know I'm not for police. They hired me knowing this. They yeah. hired me here in 2015. Yeah. I left an assistant professor position at another university. Coming here, 
I knew I could be able to like say what I needed to say. So yeah, George Floyd was definitely a defining moment. That's when I really, I drew the line in the sand. Wow. When I saw it, it, it was like, all of that, because you got to think, I trained at the Las Vegas Police Department, Scottsdale, Arizona. I was a part of all of the stuff here. I was in Ferguson with Mike Brown. I seen a lot of efforts where they said it was going to lead to something different. Mm-hmm. Never panned out. Jamar yeah. Clark got killed 2015, November 2015. Shot in the head within uh, 62 seconds. Wow. Philando was 74 seconds. So it's like they clearly, boom, like, mm-hmm. will kill you. And I saw the differential treatment when Justine Damon, a white woman, got killed. I was president of the Minneapolis NAACP. And people were like, what, you you ain't going to say nothing? You ain't going to do nothing? I'm like, hey, this is a white woman. She's definitely going to get justice. So yeah. I don't have to do a lot. Like, mm-hmm. I'm going to be here with the family. I did, I did all my, I was a but part But you of just it. knew. What do it make sense? I, I, I had to tell their neighborhood. Shout out to their neighborhood because they grew throughout all of this too because... It was like, hey, it's a black cop, white woman. This mm-hmm. is something we ain't seen. Right. This is like... Yeah. And um, he shot in the stomach within 28 seconds. You know, and she thought somebody was being sexually abused. Right. Totally bogus. Completely. But I um, I was making bold statements throughout my whole life. I've always, even in high school, you know, I was radical, you know. So it's like, I've always had that nature of, no, something ain't right. I don't know what it is. But the way you treat me and the way you act, and I've always had that kind of mouth. Like, my mom used to say, man, you need to. Like, <laughs> 12, 13, I used to be, if anybody approached us and they got issues, static or whatever, it didn't matter if we was in the streets, uh, in a hospital. If I saw something that just didn't feel right, i just say, no, I don't think that's the way it is. Even though I don't got the time to, like, really research it, mm-hmm. I always knew some of that stuff wasn't right. My coach. And high school was super racist. And I'm saying all this because it ties into seeing George Floyd get killed by the white man. When I left Chicago and went to Iowa for my junior and senior year, I had never been around white people. I grew up around Nation of Islam. I went to Dunbar High School. I had a lot of black pride. Mm -hmm. I did like a lot. Mayor Harold Washington was the first black mayor. I had a lot you know, um, to work with as far as legacy. I knew about Emmett Till. I knew about Fred Hampton, but I didn't understand how the police and the system really played into all that. Right. I knew it. Yeah, I know he got killed by the police, but I didn't really internalize it. Like, they will kill you too. I didn't look at it like that. Mm-hmm. As I got older, 16, went to Iowa, Waterloo, Iowa, um, where Nicole Hannah-Jones is from my, my <laughs> 19 project. But, um, when I went there, I played on a basketball team with a racist white coach. And I didn't eat pork. I was practicing Islam. I moved different than a lot of those kids. My life was way more serious. Mm-hmm. Coming from Chicago, mm-hmm. I got a bad kid label. I got a gang tattoo. I saw how white folks would really treat you. I knew a lot. Of, of course, I knew a lot of amazing white folks. Right. But even the ones who weren't cops still felt like they had more juice. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, man, we here. Yeah. How you got more? But it was like that privilege. Not all kids. You know, of course, I was cool with... I was cool with anybody who was cool. You know what I'm saying? Let me just be clear. I didn't care if you was a nerd. I didn't care if you was skinny, fat. I I hung with it. You know what I mean? I didn't really say that. My friendships didn't matter how much you weighed or none of that. You can look throughout my whole life. Mm -hmm. None of that. It didn't matter if you was light-skinned, dark-skinned. I went to prom with a dark-skinned black woman. Mm -hmm. They wasn't... Man, that town wasn't ready for... Shit like that. You know, people was trying to, like, act like black girls wasn't beautiful. So, Mm -hmm. for me, it's been my whole life. When I saw George Floyd, that's when I said, no, I'm not giving them my time no more. I'm not going to be pleading to y'all at the legislation and stuff. I'm moving different. I did all of that. And y'all still lynched this man. Yeah. It ain't working. No. And I, and I get that because for you, you're actually in the middle of it. For You've sure. seen it from all angles. For sure. And while George Floyd, for a lot of people, was just like, oh my gosh, racism yeah. exists. For you, it was just like, all right, this was... This was the nail in the coffin. Absolutely. And and I think there I remember I, I seen an interview with you where you said like the two things you care about are relationships Absolutely. and how we address harm. And at the core of it, that's that's what abolitionism is. It's about 
caring. It's about caring more about the human versus what's going to work for everyone. And I think what what gives us this sense of safety when it comes to policing is that we have the easy excuse to just separate these people from who we are. We don't have to take the responsibility of thinking about their humanity as opposed to, you know, what led to that? What were the what were the building blocks that got them to that position? Yeah. And if we always have the place to put these people and to mm-hmm. to say that we're different from them or that's the criminal, right. how can we ever really look at the humanity in it? And I think that's what why abolitionism for me, I think, is a very... Uh, for me, it was definitely radical because I never thought that I would get to this point. But yeah, I think over the last few years, I've been following you for so long and it's been just awakenings happening over and over again. And I think while I was I was really scared to say, you know, abolish the police, I, I was scared for you when yeah. I read that post. <laughs> I was like, oh God, what is Jason going through? Hey, right. You know, like, this isn't good. Like, he's going to become a statistic. Man. You know, it, Man. it's scary to think it about is. it. That, like, for even the, up until, like, we did that event together sure. in Alexandria last October, where we actually sat together and had a conversation with a room of people where we talked about reimagining social justice. Sure. And... I think I walked out, walked into that thinking like, okay, I'm probably going to get like stones thrown at me. Like, <laughs> and by the end I was like, yeah. wait, it makes sense. It makes <laughs> sense. <laughs> and, and that's really what my goal was for everyone else going into that oh, was sure. like to learn something and to, to just think it through, process sure. it. And now I'm on that kick where I'm like, I get it. Like abolitionism is the only way there is we're all we we're always going to have the same issues if we still have this false sense of security thinking that the police and the whole prison system in itself is actually keeping us safer when in reality it perpetuates most of the things that get you to that point absolutely yeah absolutely it's it's a whole they have a whole ecosystem to keep producing the same results and then just putting it all on the nightly news. Like, mm-hmm. the war on drugs, I thought that would be enough to get people to wake up. Like, Michelle Alexander wrote that book, and she's an abolitionist. Mm-hmm. You know, Michelle Alexander, The New Jim Crow, I thought that was it. Because mm-hmm. everybody was like, oh, you read The New Jim Crow? Mm-hmm. Like, you got to think, it was a buzz. Like, mm-hmm. oh, my God, oh, my God, New Jim Crow, New Jim Crow. And it was like, people read it, and they still went back to believing that the police was good yeah then it's like you see all of the films you see 13th you see um central park five like you think about all the stuff we can adjust mercy Mm -hmm. you think about all of the stuff for people to be shocked to see george floyd get killed i was like y'all ain't really woke you're not watching you're not you're not you're not woke like you say you are if you still shocked when you see this stuff, you should be like, fuck that, man. We doing something against that, man. Y'all killing people. You got to think, man. I heard somebody say when George Floyd called out for his mom, it felt like he was summonsing all mothers mm-hmm. to come. That's yeah. what I heard some women say. Like, yeah. when he said, was calling for his mom, it made a lot of mothers say, yeah. hey, I need to step up for this. And I'm like, why does it keep happening? to happen it's like you get charged up you want to like you got to think here we could have abolished the police well we could have had something in place that was better than policing mm-hmm. like, it didn't go how it should have went but it it's still inspiring to see that 44 percent of the people in minneapolis want something different like mm-hmm. that is amazing yeah. nearly half of the people are saying i want something different for those other you know um those other 56% or whatever, it's like, how are you still advocating for cops? Because you got to think there was a lot of black people that said, you know, hey, we need the police. We need them to keep us safe. And it's like, you know, when these guys shooting at each other, the police don't solve it. I know that. Mm-hmm. Most people know that. Like, didn't nobody, didn't no police help me when I got shot up and we was firing at each other. Right. So there ain't no, it wasn't no right. cops 
who can come in and solve that for us. So that's why I'm like, I know what worked for us. And I believe in transformative justice. It's not just something I talk about. It's like, you got to have those conversations like, fam, if you hurt me, this is how we repair it. Don't hurt me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know what I mean? like <laughs> It'd be ideal if we didn't do the hurting part. <laughs> man, like, don't hurt me, fam. I'm not hurting you. But if you do hurt me, this is what I would like to see happen. And you got to be in a space to say, I got you on that. Because really, I need an apology. Like, that's what I, I'm good with an apology if somebody harmed me. It's like, just apologize and acknowledge what you did. That's good enough, man. We can get back to we don't have enough of those conversations. So you see a 14-year-old kid highly upset at their friend. They might feel like their friend ruined their whole life. Mm-hmm. Might do something they can't reverse. Exactly. So it's like, how do we have those conversations and say, fam, I'm really rocking with you. I'm giving you radical consent. Like, I'm fucking with you. Please don't, don't, you know, don't stab me in the back. I've had a lot of that. Yeah. Don't do that. If you do, I might need about a year to get over it. You don't really think about what you need because we don't have those conversations. So that way, if somebody do harm me, at least they know how I'm going to feel when they do it. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, a lot of times, we're not thinking about that. And people just think they can use people, trick people, convince people to do this stuff. And it's like, fam, you don't even got to live like that. Yeah. Capitalism making you think that. So with people who try to protect their money, they feel like the police are the people to fix it yeah. to keep them like to say hey I see this person outside my building he messing mm-hmm. up my money police coming through so I know police have only been to uphold white supremacy like cause exactly. we've seen it work like the black guy who killed Officer Noor who killed Justine Damon a white woman he got sent swiftly to prison mm-hmm. no questions asked <laughs> like he was, like he was really in the club and I'm like that's why I be saying to all these black and brown cops who be like no I feel good in law enforcement. It's like, fam, you gotta be. Convicted. Yeah. There's no way. It's that's cognitive dissonance at its finest. Mm-hmm. There's no way you're really gonna be blue. They not really no. accepting because once you do something, there's an just... asterisk. <laughs> the union didn't support Nor. No. They was there for Chauvin though. Mm-hmm. So it's like, what are we getting when we talk about having police? What are we gaining with prison? Ninety-five percent of the people in prison coming home. So you're going to have to deal with what you're saying you're putting away. So carting them away isn't doing anything. Come on, man. When I was in that cage, man, I used to just be just trying to, like, lock in. Because I used to hear the screams. Other people wasn't doing well with their time. I was handling my time well because I'm optimistic. I could see the finish line. I know when I get out, I'm probably drop some music. I never did music after I came home <laughs> prison, But in my mind, to mm-hmm. get through it, I had to envision myself making some hard songs getting my squad back on because we used to have you know hats and shirts and shit back in the day when we used to do concerts and stuff like that so i was dreaming about coming home killing them in the music because now i got like a lot of shit i want to say you know what i mean but it was like i had stuff to be optimistic about when you take hope from people they decline they decline hopefully they rise to the level where they can open the door and go outside yeah but i've seen people be out seven ten days messed up and you not know, nobody bring them no soup don't nobody say hey fam you know yeah. what I'm saying? don't nobody it's just like so i want to i want to figure out ways where when we not well how do we reach out and say hey fam you good like, yeah straight up like everything okay you need somebody all our needs are met what would you need to have a 911 number if all of our needs are met hey i'm not feeling right this person hurt me I really want to beat them up. I think I'm going to beat them up tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> you need somebody to come in and say, that's not what you're trying to do, man. Like, for real, can I talk to them for you? Or do you want to liberate options for people? Not calling 911, because a lot of times they inflame stuff. You got to think how many people that have been in a domestic violence situation call the police, the police come there, assess it. Oh, you sure you okay? I mean... I know you wanted me to make him leave, but does he really need to leave? Think about how how that dynamic is once that cop leaves. Mm -hmm. We've heard this plenty of times. Mm -hmm. So they come, they look. It might be a trans person and a white woman. Mm -hmm. And they looking like, okay, you said what happened? You said what? This is somebody who probably is charged up even though they acting calm and they looking around they're set they taught to be 
suspicious of everything all the time. Mm-hmm. They talk to all ways. And it's like, that's not what we deserve in society. Yeah. Think about how they leave that situation where they come, they talk, they assess and say, you know what? Y'all get y'all shit together. This is beyond me. It seemed like this cat fighting stuff is going too far. Figure your stuff out. If anybody gets harmed and need medical attention, call us back. But they do stuff like this. Mm-hmm. And people wasn't believing it all these years. George Floyd did make people say, oh, shoot, let me walk this back a little yeah. bit. Because it's people who still will always say police are all heroes. Mm-hmm. And it's like there's no job where everybody is a there's no, no job where no, everybody... No, no doctor. No, and they're the ones actually saving lives. Like, it doesn't exist. Come on, there's no profession. Teachers, social workers, they're... they're uh-uh. It, it, it just doesn't exist where everybody is a hero. Yeah. No, nah, it's some people who didn't got in there who, you know, was doing it for their own ego or doing it for they, you know, like the perks that come with it. Cops get, I mean, they get free food. They get coffee everywhere. Mm-hmm. I, and, and I'm like, so you not believing me when I say they like, they really be messing us up. You're not believing me when I say I pull over and they sizing me up based off my teens and mm-hmm. 20s. That is real. Cause it's like, you got to keep reminding people cause they might see it be shocked for two, three months. But then when they getting their kids back in school and they mm-hmm. go back to their day-to-day, going to their mm-hmm. office a little bit, all of this, they it can just, block it out. Exactly. I can't never block it out. So that's why I'm an abolitionist. It ain't going away from me. My brother, a tall, dark-skinned black man with long dreads. Mm-hmm. I think about my brother. So that's why I'm saying abolish the police. How do we figure out our own stuff while constantly reducing or shrinking these departments to where everybody feels safe? It's not an overnight thing no cops i'm saying gradually right and that's what i was i was about to say is that a lot of people are thinking when we think of abolitionism we think of oh we're leaving we're taking everyone off the street all the cops off the street right now and shutting down and of course that's a bad idea and we it's a slow move and and it's not going to happen overnight but what do you say to the people who still have the doubts of like Okay, well, what do we do with the murderer or the serial killer? What do we do with the rapist? And and I, while I do understand that there's got to be some system or something to sure. um, address the needs of sure. people like that yeah. um, or people who are or violent crimes or how to address sure. that, how do we keep that from not just being a reimagined idea of yeah. policing as it is. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's what slavery was. It absolutely. just turned into policing. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, first, first, I would say a lot of those people are still in society. You know what I mean? Like, it's a, it's a whole lot of rapists that are still out here. Mm-hmm. Never been held accountable. Mm-hmm. So... If we don't figure out how to hold the rapists accountable, you left with what you have, which is terrible. St. Paul, where you at right now, it takes the police six weeks on average to call a woman back after they've been sexually assaulted. Six weeks. Six weeks. Six weeks. And that time she could be raped again. She could be murdered. Come on, man. The like, <laughs> you're not addressing it. What is, again, what is the police doing in that case? On average. You ain't gonna hear nothing back for six weeks. Yeah. And I'm like, how was that A1 service? They done did this rape kit, they done did all of these things. And you saying, hey, I'm I'ma holler at you when we know something. Six weeks, man. This person then called them. Hey, I heard you went to the police. I heard this. They inflame mm-hmm. situations. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm saying what we can do with somebody who is who has committed rape, we can have a community committee. Nine, ten people. What are we going to do with this person who has raped? What are we going to do? Are we going to show up at their job and tell them that we want to hold them accountable? Do we want to see them um, be in circle, do some restorative justice, really sit and repair the harm that they've done? Mm-hmm. Liberating options where it's like, we're not trying to throw you away, but you ain't finna throw this woman away that you hurt Right, either. right, exactly. So we here to let you know we can do this quietly. Or we could do this another way. What What's your choice? Because you did it. We know you did it. This person ain't just lying. So, do you? Do we need to come to your job and mm-hmm. hold up signs? 
Do we oh, need to? Okay. You can you can hold people accountable. I'm not saying I don't like shaming people, but if you're not complying and you're not answering the phone when we mm-hmm. say, because somebody might say, "Hey, man, I ain't I ain't dealing with y'all. Who is y'all? Like mm-hmm. I ain't answering to y'all. It's like we're a community cabinet mm-hmm. that's making sure people get held accountable when they do things like this. Do you want to do it our way or do you want to test your luck with the system? Mm-hmm. What you what you trying to do here? Right. Giving them a choice. You got a choice. They might say, all right, I'm rocking with y'all. Or, man, y'all trying to bring the police in this? Look, we're not trying to do that. Yeah. We're trying to shrink them mm-hmm. <laughs> at the same time. Yeah. We making sure you get held accountable. I've been telling this story a little bit lately. Um, I was 18. It's not the best way to handle somebody who's committed rape. Because um, I don't think somebody who commits rape is overall just a rapist. I think they probably a son, a cousin, a they might have some good things because I've heard some stories of friends and one night this person just turned into somebody else and stuff like that. So I, I don't want to just write them off as one thing, even mm-hmm. though I got caught with a gun. I'm not just a felon. I'm not just a gun toting, right. <laughs> you know, person. There's so more to it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of, a lot of different layers to it. But when I was 19, I just want to tell the story all the way right. I was 19 years old, about three months from being 20. But I was a leader in gang activity mm-hmm. in Minneapolis, St. Paul, back to Chicago. I had leadership in the gang. And um, Cindy was new to our gang. You know, people had vouched for her and said she was good. She did music, you know what I mean? And that was a large part of us. We put out songs and stuff all the time. Uh, smoking going to the studio was pretty common. Me going with a lot of people, making music and stuff like that. But really, I was, I was a community person even back then. Mm-hmm. You know, so you're not seeing... I'm more, you know, put together now. But yeah. even back then, my heart was still, fam, they finna kick you out. If you don't come up with $700, I got you. You don't owe me nothing. I'm not trying to have sex with you. None of that. Mm-hmm. Here you go. Live your life. You right, know what I'm saying? Right. Like, that's it. I, I get so many stories of that. One night, we had a meeting, 7 o'clock. We all in there. Uh, we was in the projects in McDonald's. About 50 of us, 55. I lead the meeting. I open us up in prayer. I would go around in a circle. We close up. You know, I say a prayer to lead, lead us out. Well, that night, you know, Cindy and Bio left together. You know, they, um, you know, planned on drinking, kicking and hanging out or whatever. Me, Mark, Reggie, all of us went downtown Minneapolis. Fucking kicked it. I fucking, mm-hmm. it was a night. <laughs> it, was a, it was a night. I was turned up, you know, Aaron's squad looking good. It was, it was, it was a night. Mm-hmm. And um, the next morning, Cindy, who I didn't even really know that well, she said, AJ, bio raped me last night. Auto- automatically. I said, automatically. She tells this story too. Everybody who was there tells this story. Mm-hmm. I said, can you be in a meet? Like, you good enough to be in a meet? She said, yeah, I am. I said, I'm going to call everybody who was at the meeting last night. We all coming back. I don't care if you hungover. I don't care if you playing video games with your kids. I don't give a damn. Mm-hmm. You got to be at this meet. This mandatory. Okay. We all got together. She got the floor first. I let her. One minute she's strong, you know, you know what you did. Don't play, don't be acting. And then she's like, "Man, you hurt me." And then she's sad. She going through all of this she's in the circle for sure. And she's snapping though. Most of the time, she affirmative in what she's saying. He, his body language saying, "When is my turn?" His body language saying that. So I'm trying to block him out and what he doing and letting her have the floor. She's not supposed to cuss in the circle or any of that, but, you know, I'm not finna tell her, watch her mouth and stuff. I'm not gonna yeah, do that. She's in pain. She was saying what she needed to say. I said, cool. She had, like, seven minutes. She was only supposed to have five. Like, that's what it was. Like, we making a quick decision. Everybody got stuff to do. All right. We finna make sure she get handled with care. She said her stuff. You know, he wanted to say his part, and after the first two minutes, I just had to cut him off. Because he was more so saying, Jay, you know girls like me. You know, because he's a handsome guy. You know, he like, you know, you know girls like me. Um, she invited me over. She wanted me to bring drinks. I'm not hearing any consent. None of this is saying that she anything. wanted to. I said, none of, none of it. So I'm letting him talk. Because I like him. He one of my front line. Just mm-hmm. to be a 100. Mm-hmm. He one of my front line soldiers. He ain't just somebody who in my gang. Like, mm-hmm. he's somebody who... 
when I say, hey, look, we moving, I I need you. Mm-hmm. So he ain't just somebody who just hanging around it. Like he in it, in it with me. And I guess he probably thought I wasn't gonna. I don't I don't know what he was thinking, but he was just saying, Jay, come on, man. Like, why you gonna have us come here, man? You know this ain't all that. I just said, look, I heard enough. Go ahead and get on that wall. Reggie, y'all know. You getting a physical. He like, Jay, wait. No. Man, come on, fam. I said, Cindy, you cool with that? Cindy said, yeah, I'm, I'm fine with that. Tore him off. You know, you got you to gotta get it, man. Ain't nobody finna rape nobody around me and say you around me. Mm-hmm. Like, that ain't happening. Took him home. He he messed up. You know what I'm saying? His partner was like, Jay, I'm calling the police on you. I'm like, you call the police on me. It might turn out he go to prison for rape. Mm-hmm. And his partner stunned. She like, they probably tore her whole world upside mm-hmm. down. You know what I mean? Left. He still needed to be at the meetings. I start hanging out with her. We all start hanging out with Cindy more. Mm-hmm. First time I went gay nineties was with Cindy. Oh wow! I'm like, fam, I can't even be doing this, man. I'm a fucking gang leader. You got me in gay nineties. <laughs> this don't, it don't actually go together. Fam, I'm like, man, I ain't homophobic. She knew that. Everybody know I ain't got no problem with you if you gay or whatever. But at the same time. Imagery is still important to me. I got to be who I am out here. I can't lead us the way I'm mm-hmm. trying to lead us. Right. If people challenging me on my orientation and all right. that, like I don't got, I don't got the energy. But mm-hmm. we went there. Um, she just wanted to go there. She had us at a drag, at a, at a drag show. You got to think. I'm 19. I'm from Chicago. I'm like deep in gang culture. Yeah. I got pistols. I got drugs. Yeah. I, I, this ain't a part of my the way I kick it. Yeah. You know. What I'm saying? I get like, it. You know. I get so. It. That's the beauty in that. I'm not saying we should do that with all people who commit rape, but that, and he still would have, I said his body was still with his partner. Um, he still did come to meetings afterwards. As a 19 year old, I feel okay. I wish I didn't have to tell people to commit, you know, violence on him, mm-hmm. but I didn't have resources. Mm-hmm. So now I still know how to say what happened. Oh, and I got resources now, mm-hmm. so I don't gotta tell him. Give me, I can say, cause you gotta think I did that in less than you know. Once she told me we were in a meeting in two hours, how could I do that as a nineteen year old without Facebook? Without yeah. So now I'm saying, and that's why I do restorative justice across the country, and I've held circles in prisons, etc. I can bring people together who caused harm. Somebody who got shot at by their friend, I could say, hey. Prepare them, man. I know they're going to be upset, but once they get out, they see. I need four people who can intervene from both sides to make sure we build a wall so they don't get to this other person. Because this person coming to fix the, what they did. Mm-hmm. But the emotions in that. Yeah, that's it's a like, lot. So, how do you handle I, and I'll give you, I, I got stories for days, but I'll give you a story of a woman who called me. Um, This was so out of the blue. I wasn't ready for it. I won't say her name. She ain't really gave me permission to share this story. But um, she said, Jason, you don't know me. I'm a white woman. I live around the Summit University area. Mm-hmm. Um, she said, I've seen some of your work in the past. You know, when you was coming over to this place, this church. And, it, and she said, um, I'm, I'm saying this to you in confidence. She said, you know, my brother harmed me when we was young. She said, we grown now and everything feels okay. Our kids play with each other. Like, we got a good relationship. Like, mm-hmm. we, go, we hang out on holidays, etc. Mm-hmm. And I'm just listening. I said, okay, I said, what do you, I said, what role you want me to play in that? She said, I want, she said, I don't want to ruin my relationship with my brother, but I do want to, you know, be able to sit with him and hold him accountable for mm-hmm. I said, I had to run through scenarios with her. I said, if he denies it, is that going to take you down to a further place? If he, I said, I had to keep doing this patiently, but mm-hmm. I said, we might not do this right away. I said, this might not be we together in a month. I said, I don't know what he might say. I mm-hmm. said, more than likely, he's going to deny that you tell him the truth. Right. Are you, I took the necessary time. It took about five, six weeks just to make sure, because one minute, you know, she owned it, want to move forward with it. Mm-hmm. Then she'll say, you mm-hmm. know, hey, let's just stop. And yeah. you got to be patient in that. And I was mm-hmm. patient. And, um, when we did reach out to him, he was defiant. What is she trying to ruin? Is she trying to ruin my job? He he was going in a lot of weird places, mm-hmm. you know, but he was defensive and he didn't want to feel that guilt from what he did. Mm-hmm. So 
Reached out to him first time. I'm not talking to y'all, whatever. Reached out again. I said, hey, man, this ain't going away. This your, this your sister, man. Like, she's not trying to make a big deal. She's not trying to tell nobody. Mm-hmm. I say she told me because she trusts me. Like, this the best situation you could really have. Mm-hmm. She ain't trying to cancel you or none of that, man. She just want to, like, talk to you about what you did. By the time we, it was about eight weeks later, when we got them in the room, they both just hugged and just cried. I told my people who was in there, hey, let's just step out. I said, you okay with y'all standing here by yourself? She was like, yeah, she cried and everything. Mm-hmm. They were able to work through. They didn't even need us. And we all staffed and ready. Mm-hmm. And you know what I mean? And They're like, like what's going to happen? Her and she stormed out. We got all this. Yeah. We got solutions. That's mm-hmm. what I'm saying. We got solutions. Um, As far as murder, you know, ain't no, ain't no repairing that, man. You take a life. You know, you going to suffer. You... I don't, I don't know somebody who can take a life and still, on the surface, they might still be winning. But you ain't never going to forget it. You ain't going to forget what you did. You ain't going to, that's never, that never goes away. Even no matter how much you block it out and say you didn't do what you did yeah. and it didn't happen, mm-hmm. you're going to live with that. So I don't necessarily got to, um, you know, see an eye for an eye in the situation. Like, and I got friends who've committed murder. Now they home and I help them, mm-hmm. you know, um, do what they got to do. But murderers are gonna, they're gonna pay for that. They, they're gonna pay for it. Whether you, they get it in this life or next life, whatever. There's, you're not, you're not just going through life, mm-hmm. doing that kind of harm and, you know, um, being able to just be at the top. But people do it, but it, there's gonna be some kind of, um, you're gonna, there's gonna be penitence on some level. There's gonna be a consequence. Is it necessary, you feel, in general, for deviants and people who are just beyond, you know, intervention? Um, Mm -hmm. Will it always be necessary to have some sort of facility? Um, Yeah, I think if somebody not well mentally, you know, um, what does that place look like? Because that's a serial killer. You're not well mentally. Yeah, of course. And it's like, we're not going to let you be out here killing, but... Why do it got to be a cage? Why can't it be like a old rec center that we fixed up? living? Something. Maybe. Some, I mean, some kind of place. My cousin right now, you know, he was, a lot of people know um, Martise. He he wasn't well for a lot of years. And they held him in St. Peter's. And when I went to prison, they put him in a mental facility and all kind of stuff. But I seen, I seen how they didn't necessarily want to just throw him in prison. Even when he came home and wasn't well, and I mean, I still talk to him. You know, I'm gonna take him to the studio. I still love him, but he's done things. I mean, from his childhood trauma, he needed a place where St. Peter wasn't the right place for him. They strapping him down. They got him on medication. He blowing up. Yeah, they take him on different medication. That's just another form of imprisonment. Exactly. So I'm saying, what does it look like with people who gonna lovingly handle somebody? who did some egregious stuff and it's not locked into a cage. Like, if I had a gymnasium where you got bleachers, nobody using it, is that good enough for people? Well, that way they can run upstairs, they can play some basketball, they can have the internet. It just don't got to be you in a cage with nothing and you just got to right. tough it out because that ain't going to help you get well. So I'm just, I'm ready to figure out the murderers and the, and and the rapists and the people who commit the serious harm, but that's not most of the people in prison. Yeah. So I mean, what about the people who cuss you out when you go into your car? That's violence too. So yes. I think, you know, like Signy, Signy always tells us, like, man, we gotta have a deeper conversation on violence because everybody don't see violence in, in the, the same, same way. way. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like if I'm if I'm going to my pump and you come behind me and, and yell nigger, that's violence. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But to other people it's just like you know that ain't well let's be honest about that most white people will see violence in a completely different way than we do for um for them yelling the n-word things like that is not violence it's not inciting anything right. um whereas for us just the idea that you want to bring a police officer to a, a dinner or whatever something that we're at that is violent to Absolutely. us and I think like that's really hard to bring those two thoughts together, to bring those two schools of thought together with different yeah. people. Yeah, I just 
the thing is, I'm just imparting the knowledge of what I've seen. Mm-hmm. You got to think in prison. When you got an issue with somebody, your issue ain't going nowhere. You got to handle it. You got to mm-hmm. figure it out one way or another. So being in prison, I got to see how people, how I handle my own stuff. You know, I think I had some fights and stuff in prison because mm-hmm. it's like, I'm willing to talk to you, but if you ain't reasonable and you think you about to like have your people jump me or something mm-hmm. at, at lunch, I'm going to talk to you first. This is how I operate. Hey, I want to holler at you, man. I'm hearing you I'm hearing you saying like, y'all going to beat me up in, in lunchroom. I had somebody say, yeah, we are. When we get in the lunchroom, it's like, why you can't handle me yourself? Mm-hmm. Why you need a squad? This me and you, right? You got an issue with me. What they got to do with it? You trying to trick off all our time? Why me and you can't handle that? And it's like, I know what they trying to do. They know they can't handle me one-on-one. So they trying to build up this energy and this story and all of this stuff. I can see this. So it's like, I've had issues with people on the other side of the fence. You got to think. If you in Fairboat or St. Cloud, it's some people in C unit, B unit. Mm-hmm. When you in a one unit and you got beef with somebody in another unit, you got to pass messages to say, hey, what we on? You trying to kick it off when we see each other or do we need to arrange a time where we can handle this and be able to get through our time? Because mm-hmm. it got to be something. I'm not going to have to worry about you my whole 40 months. Right. What we doing here? Right. Even though I got the verbiage to do that, it's other people that think. That don't. No. Nah, yeah. You know, I'm just going. But what I've seen over time is this. After I talk to you and we do whatever you think you want to do, <laughs> like like I said, I had I had fights in prison. Mm-hmm. After that, the conversation was a lot easier because we did it your way. Mm-hmm. You said you wanted to box me. Mm-hmm. That didn't work out well for you. Mm-hmm. Now you only left with. I mean, you can try to escalate it if you want. You can try and get some other people involved and make it a gang issue or try and get a shank. When you does can try. It end? Yeah. You could try that, but I'm saying. We got to figure this out, fam. I'm going to see you at dinner. I'm going to see you at breakfast. I'm going to see you for years. You're going to deal with me. <laughs> yeah. Having that framework allows me to be more creative if right. people have conflict in the community. Because mm-hmm. it's like, we can send somebody six hours away to get a breather. Mm-hmm. In prison, you're not going anywhere. So if I can navigate that and be able to say... Cause you gotta think I got called Well I didn't get called a nigga It felt like I got called a nigga About um, this guy named Visa Meyer mm-hmm. We was all on the Ickwick crew Chopping down trees In Oatana And doing all of this stuff DA was a lifer um, Dexter Anderson He was a lifer We the only two black guys On this crew mm-hmm. Everybody else white Visa Meyer He think he a correction officer He really serving time like us But mm-hmm. in his mind he with the guards and shit. Because the guy, Gary, who drove the van, mm-hmm. he was a DOC employee. Mm-hmm. Him and Visa Meyer was like this. It's like, how y'all buddy-buddy? This motherfucker serving time. And you a DOC employee. But y'all friends, he just hop in the front seat all the time and shit. I'm like, what the heck is going on? Right. Like, I'm just happy to be able to get out of the facility and do something else. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not a hard labor type person. We get back in the van one day. He said, man, if it's gonna be a fight and it's a um if I walk into a bar and a and a white guy and a nigger's about to fight, I'm putting my money on the nigger. And he started <laughs> laughing. I looked at DA. I said, man, what the fuck he say? DA was just he was he was he was he wasn't frozen, but he was looking and he was kind of smirking like and he he was processing. I said, what the fuck? I look at DA because I'm like, man, I'm finna snap. Mm-hmm. I say, hey, what you say? I leaned up because the way we seated, I could lean up. I say, hey, what you say, man? He says, so, I'm just cracking a joke. Dealing with your ass in the unit. I swear to God, when we get in the unit, I'm, man, took. I ain't finna say too much. You already know how this shit go down. So I, DA said, chill, Jay, for real. Wait till we get in the unit. Because even though I was saying we gonna wait till we get in the unit, mm-hmm. I... I uh, I was nearly ready to just mm-hmm. start firing on him right there in the car while I was moving all of that shit because like he know he was in violation he, he lightly wait till we get in the unit cool I can't even contain it I'm, I'm trying to act sure. <laughs> I'm like I'm whooping this dude he bogus and it felt like he called me a nigga and DA a nigga mm-hmm. that, the joke wasn't even funny mm-hmm. We get in the unit, like we finna go in the unit. He wanna walk around and talk like talk to Gary outside the truck. I say, hey, look, in the unit, man. Ain't none of this talk to no other motherfucker. Unit, man. He said, Jay, no, I need to talk. He's scared and shit now. Mm-hmm. I got in the unit. 
need my gloves, mm-hmm. <laughs> get my boots right. So once I got in, I ain't talked to nobody. Mm-hmm. I didn't get nobody else in my mess. I went right to my room. We lacing up. Visa Maya, I need you in the shadows mm-hmm. right now. Gonna work you real quick. Then we'll talk about why you never. Then you better never do that shit again. Mm-hmm. Going to unit, it's already a stir. People, once I get in, some people that already ran in, like Jay finna do you. They're already. Once I got in, it was already some pandemonium. So I'm like, oh, this ain't working out right. So I went in there, grabbed my shit. Tubbs was one of my roommates. Had four. It was four of us in in, in our unit. Mm-hmm. I said, hey Tubbs, man, if they come in here and ask for me. I was in here the whole time. <laughs> I said, <laughs> said Chubbs, I never left this room, man, mm-hmm. for real. He was like, but, but what, are you leaving? <laughs> I never left the room, Chubbs. <laughs> like, you don't see this, right? Man, this dude a white supremacist. So he got all his white, these white supremacists, like hair slick, they, they white supremacists, mm. lifting weights, don't like black people. I go down, they uni. I need Visa Maya, man. Y'all do not want to send this shit up like this. I need him or it's on. Period. They like, man, he not trying to fight you though. So what we what should what should we do if he not trying to fight you? We passed all of that, fam. He said what he said. It's time for him to stand on it. Mm-hmm. I'm charged. Hobbs, old man Hobbs, like 65 years old. But this dude, like, he always play like he know martial arts. Like, he be jumping over shit and all that. He he a martial artist. Like he used to be yeah. like, and I'm down here on some serious shit. And he said, Jay, just let me know, man. I'm ready. I'm looking at him like, because he be playing with that shit. With yeah. Me. Like, if I hit you right here, you're not going to make it. <laughs> like, he used to say this shit all the time. Now I'm in a real situation. And I'm looking at him and he like, just tell me. And I'm looking like, wow, you might really know some shit. But I'm focused on Vizemar. I need Vizemar to come out, man. I know he ain't trying to fight me, but he disrespected me. I need something to handle. The way we worked it, like the way we worked that out, one of my people ended up fighting one of his people because he didn't want to fight me. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel all the way good about that because the next day we had to go out on crew and he was like looking regular because I already had like you finna, hey you finna deal with me. you finna deal with what you said like mm-hmm. I'm bringing the ancestors to this ass what mm-hmm. like I'm not playing I'm I'm bringing everything like. And it still made me not feel good, even when we was in that van. I felt like he might say it again. Mm. His man's got beat up, but at the same time, I was like, damn, I ain't all the way cool with this. But it was the best thing. Otherwise, it would have been a huge-ass race fight. Right. Weights thrown, mm-hmm. people bloody, like, everybody getting shipped. It, it, it could have got to that, and I was nearly at a place where I was ready to set it off like that. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, you don't call, you don't say no nigga shit around me. You know right. what I'm saying? Like, that ain't going down. I was only 21, 22 at the time, but I still was a leader inside on some what is fair. Right. What is justice. I don't want all us to get sent up. I'd never be able to feel good about that if I see I took 12 black people out of the union. We all messed up our time, all getting charged with assault. Mm-hmm. Going back to court. It's a law. So, we got weapons. We got, I mean, we got, and I don't even want to say weapons, but we got lawyers. We got social workers. We got survivors. We got formerly incarcerated people. What I'm doing now, I'm bringing the people together that I know and love. The people mm-hmm. I feel like are sacred people who understand each other enough and life enough. Mm-hmm. Let's build out the world we want to see. We don't need everybody. Exactly. We can start small. We don't need everybody on, on the squad. People who don't believe, who need a little bit more time. We'll give y'all some reading. Mm-hmm. We'll give y'all some assignments. All right. We ain't leaving you behind. But at the same time, abolitionists are constantly going forward. Yeah, We're not going to keep stopping this train to help you get on. Mm-hmm. Follow us, man. We're going. Look at the stuff we're putting out. <laughs> Absolutely. And I know abolition is hard for some people to wrap their mind around as a concept. Because it's like, oh my God, there ain't going to be nobody here to help me. It's like, they not here to help you right now. Right now. <laughs> False sense of security. Man. <laughs> yeah. What you think is there for you ain't even there. Yeah. Like, we have to, re- re- like, rethink things. We have to, it's, we have to uncondition ourselves Absolutely. because it's, it's so, that, that is the immediate thing that people go to. I, I think even in the summer of 2020, when I was part of these different protests back in Alexandria, even yeah. those who are allies, you know, the first thing they wanted to do when things got crazy was bring the cops in. It's like, you're missing the point. You are missing the point. We are here because of them. 
this is why we're doing Man. this. And and I think it's going to take some time, but I think what we're doing here and just even having this conversation is sure. so important. Um, I think in our next um, episode, we're going to talk further more into abolition Absolutely. itself and some of the things that we're doing here. And yeah. I think that today was a great um, starting point and your stories are amazing. <laughs> it's so fun to just hear what you've been through. Um, you're definitely an enigma and not everybody you know, has that background. And I think that really makes a difference in who you are and how you see things. Cause you, like you said before, you have the framework for it. Whereas most people don't, they just have their experiences Absolutely. and they don't really know where to put that in terms of their emotions or how to handle it. And I think that there, that's a nice bridge to build between um, those, those two different types of people who are still figuring it out and Absolutely. i think that abolition at the end of the day is the only real answer it is it is people don't know what they gain with abolition mm-hmm. so i just i just close us out by saying i mean you can you can have the last word it's your, <laughs> it's your joint, you know what i mean i'm happy to be a guest on here but i just say this like miriam Kaba did tell us that like as an abolitionist only two things that really matter are our relationships and how we reduce harm. We're here to love each other. Mm-hmm. We're not here to be like, I'm the big professor, you the student. Mm-hmm.